Welcome to Refreshingly Innovative, a show that explores anything or anyone that is refreshing and or innovative, be it an entrepreneur, your next door neighbor, or an idea worth pondering. I'm your host, Stefan Randolph, and on today's show, I have Dr. Kyle Adams, a physical therapist and entrepreneur. We discuss why he became a physical therapist, some of the trends and problems in health and fitness, and the difficulties of running a business. I really enjoyed this interview and think you will too. Uh, so without further ado, enjoy. That's it. Yeah, sure, absolutely. It can be confusing. Um, so I guess a little backstory on me. Um, I graduated from VCU, um, MCV's campus here in Richmond, in 2011 with my my doctorate in physical therapy, um, which is now the entry level. Um, you know, degree for physical therapist there. So I've been practicing for about four years. Um, during my second year of PT school, that's when I went ahead and got my CSCS certified strength and conditioning specialist um, through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, so that kind of opened the doors to the fitness side of things for me in terms of being a licensed professional. And um, after doing a residency program here in the state, um, at least the didactic portion of that, um, went ahead and got my orthopedic clinical specialty, <clears throat> excuse me, certification uh, last year. And uh, that's kind of a big one in, in uh, you know, our field specifically as it relates to treating patients. So um, it's kind of the pinnacle, if you will, of, of orthopedics in my world. So that's where the, that's where the initials come from anyways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in our world, orthopedic is really anything that pertains to the musculoskeletal system, right? So anything related uh, to bone, tendon, ligament, muscle from an injury perspective, that's everything that, you know, I kind of treat and focus on specifically. Okay, well, like in the lead up to, you know, deciding to, you know, go to school or pursue this career, I guess what led you down that path? Yeah, so, you know, kind of a couple of things. I grew up playing soccer um, at a reasonably high level, I guess, um, and definitely had some injuries with that. So, you know, broken foot was my first experience just as some PT rehab afterwards. Um, had some some back injuries kind of towards the end of high school. Uh, got lucky enough to do a mentorship with a guy that owns a big set of clinics, both in Hampton Roads, where I'm from, and even up here in Richmond. So I spent a lot of time with him over a year, learned a lot there. Went to school in undergrad, still undecided between either going the physical therapy route or potentially going into orthopedic surgery as well. Um, in addition to kind of being a nutrition and exercise major, I did the pre-med track there, which is really just like a collection of classes that kind of expose you to the medical side of things. And after taking some some classes with uh, guys across professions, ended up thinking, you know, PT is a pretty good spot for me. I can blend kind of my growing passion for fitness in with that um, and really kind of ruled out orthopedic surgery as, uh, you know, the road I wanted to go down. Okay. Yeah. Well, you mentioned right there, and I wanted to dive into this later, but uh, about how you had a mentor that sort of helped you along this path. And, yep. You know, that's something that recently, you know, as far as the podcast I listened to, they were both Tim Ferriss fans. No doubt. He talked a lot about. You know, the importance of finding a mentor. So I guess, you know, 
guess what, what specifically, uh, or what was the most valuable thing that you got from that relationship? Sure. Um, I've kind of had two. So the, the first one there was it wasn't as much of a personal mentorship, if you will, in the classic sense. So he was a business owner um, with multiple locations, nice enough to spend some time with me. Really what I got from him was more of that baseline. He's the face of a business. You know, he's greeting every single person that walks through his doors into his clinic, despite the fact that you know, even at that point, he probably owned 20 different clinics, but uh, and let's say four therapists within his business. So, he, you know, he's patting everybody on the back saying, hey, how are you? Flashing a smile and just being, you know, concerned about his people. So um, from his standpoint, it was really just more of a, you know, he's the top dog, but, uh, you know, there's no sense of entitlement with anything he does. Um, and that was kind of a conversation that we had had in the past um, and just, you know, kind of putting your head down, getting ready to work every day, um, which is nice. So I got that from him, but my, my biggest mentor is, uh, you know, a guy who just moved back here to Richmond. I was lucky enough to have a rotation with him during PT school. Um, Andrew Rothschild really kind of shaped me in terms of like clinically how I think a lot. Um, he's a very progressive outside the box, I guess, thinker. Um, and he's even kind of nowadays, you know, big, getting big in the, in the Twitter world, has a blog of his own and, uh, is back in the city. So hopefully we'll be able to kind of catch up a little bit here and, uh, you know, continue to kind of play off of each other's strengths and I can continue to learn from him. So he's kind of big, been the big mentor for me clinically at least. And, uh, looking forward to kind of having him back in the city now. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty great. And, um, I want to come back to what you said later, uh, about, I guess the more progressive side of sure. physical therapy. Um, but first I wanted to ask like if besides, you know, people that you've actually had, you know, personal relationship or any other, People online or books or resources which have you know played a foundation, foundational role in yeah. I guess where you are. Yeah, huge. Um, you know, we're lucky to live during the internet time. So um I'll tell you there's a from the fitness side of things, um the biggest thing was there's a there's a podcast out there called the Fitcast. Kevin Larrabee hosts it. Um, he's up around Massachusetts. Um, you know he used to have a couple of guest hosts with him. He's gone through a, you know a few different people, but I mean he has interviewed every single major player. Excuse me, in both the you know the the fitness world as well as some crossover rehab guys too. So you know that was my first exposure to like man I can just you know, flip on the headphones and listen to a top guy in the field, you know, for an hour at a time. Um, and that kind of opened the door really to, to true strength and conditioning for me. I had been just a, a guy that transitioned from playing sports, a burnout athlete into just kind of a gym rat for a few years, not really training with any real sense of progression, like a lot of us do. And then from there, the gates were opened, um, started reading books by a lot of the guys that he had on the podcast. And, um, yeah, I mean, that, that was huge for me. Um, there's a guy up in, in Boston named Eric Cressy, who's just really big in our world. He's probably the top baseball strength and conditioning guy in the world. Um, and, uh, he just produces a tremendous amount of content, um, you know, really instills reading, learning, and also as one of those guys that provides a lot of resources from up and comers or for up and comers to really learn from. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a bunch of other guys out there like him, but I think those were some of the early influences for me in terms of, um, the, the fitness side of things. 
Um, there's certainly some guys out there like uh, Mike Reinold is one from the physical therapy side of things um, who just produces a ton of great content out there for, for people to, uh, you know, to learn from. And then I think the last one and the most recent one for me is starting to listen to a lot of Tim Ferriss's stuff from an entrepreneurial side and a business side of things. And, you know, stuff like productivity habits have been really helpful for me. Um, and, and he just comes out with great stuff. It seems like every single week where I just learn a ton, no matter you know, who he's talking to. So those are a few of the best resources I've kind of come across. Well, I guess what I want to ask then is, you know, a lot of people go into their respective fields and, uh, well, you know, this is nice, you know, it sets me up for this sort of life that I'm comfortable living, sure. you know, and I'm just going to do this for forever, you know, the foreseeable future. Sure. Um, but you decided to go a different route, you know, in addition to being a, a practicing PT to, to start your own business. So, what motivated that? Like, why would you want to spend that extra work? <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. Um, I probably talked too much about that in terms of uh, <laughs> balancing both. Um, you know, I think it's uh, it really comes down to autonomy in terms of what you want to do individually. And at a certain point, you can create your reality um, within the business world. And with what we do, unfortunately, some of who we see from a patient load standpoint is dictated by relationships with orthopedic surgeons, which is great um, <clears throat> and unfortunate at the same time because there's a lot of folks that are around and it's a very inundated field. So at a certain point, if you're not seeing what you want to see and or doing exactly what you want to do, you've got to branch out. And I really just hit a point where I realized pretty much anybody that's successful in business makes the jump. You might not be fully prepared for it, but you've just got to take that first step. So I decided last year that, um, you know, I wanted to do more consulting work and I wanted to do more training work myself, um, which just makes more sense, um, you know, in that setting. Um, given all the extra time I'm going to be spending versus probably the more traditional sense in terms of trying to run that within a clinic. Um, so I've kind of made that jump into that new space over the last year, and it's been a good one. Yeah. Well, within, within the last year, then, what's been the most surprising thing about you know, running your own business? Oh, man. Um, that's, a, that's a very good question. Um, I think at the end of the day, the the most – surprising thing and the most important thing is that when you're running your own show, the only person that you've got to fall back on is you. So as you're trying to measure, you know, the logistics of, of metrics and growth, return on investment, all of that stuff, you really just have to look at yourself, what you've gotten up and accomplished that week. Um, and just really understanding that it's a constant grind and it's a grind that motivates you, but ultimately you are responsible for your productivity directly. And there's only uh, one person to look to on that. So um, you fully expect that, but really once you're kind of jumping out there, getting over the initial hurdles of starting a business, it's all about how do I grow? And uh, that takes a lot of time, a lot of dedication and, uh, and learning how sometimes being status quo for a couple of months at a time from a growth standpoint is just that it is what it is. But but continuing to work hard on producing great content is what it's all about um, and a great product. So I think that's the bin. Not that I'm surprised by it, but uh, it really is true in terms of having to kind of stay on that grind and continue to be really at the top of your game to attract more folks into your business. I guess looking back on things now, you know, with the, with the wisdom you've developed, you know, 
this, but over a year now or about a year, um, what's something you wish somebody had told you before you had made the journey? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's really all about relationships. Um, and me kind of taking that first step, luckily within the clinic here, um, you know, I've kind of been doing a lot of our marketing and uh, relationship building with physicians for, for, you know, more than the year or so that I've been clinic director. So, so I kind of knew that, but I think getting a jump start on developing those relationships for a business side of things would have absolutely been the number one thing out there. And and I don't care whether you're like an undergrad that's looking to get into a field of, of your dreams eventually. Really, uh, it's no different than being a business owner. But, but getting out there and establishing as many relationships across the board between industries right from the jump um, is super important. And I think if I probably would have, you know, known that to start with, I would have had a better jump in terms of, uh, you know, maybe some bigger opportunities out there, especially from the consulting side of things. So marketing and relationships, I haven't been to PT school, so I'm not speaking from experience. But <laughs> sure. I imagine those are things that they don't exactly teach. Zero. Yeah. 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 So what's the learning curve been like with those? Man, uh, big, I think, at the end of the day, because it, it's really kind of two things. I think a lot of us, um, you know, are uh, so one of my favorite books out there when it comes to the entrepreneurial side of things that I've read is the E-Myth about entrepreneurship. And it kind of discusses the difference between an entrepreneur, um, a manager and a technician. So I think that PT school really, really prepares us to all be technicians. And I think innately that's what drives anybody in the medical field into that field is, is to become a technician and really taking that next step as partially a manager for sure. And partially almost an entrepreneur, um, in that sense is, uh, it's a big challenge. Um, so I, I think getting away from my role as a technician was tough because at the end of the day, not every doc cares if you're better than everybody else, mm-hmm. right? They're busy doing exactly what, you know, uh, the, you know, they're the technician in their world and they're getting paid an awful lot to do a great job with that. And there's a lot of inherent risk with that. So understanding that it's not always about you in that sense, um, when it comes to marketing and, and how much better you, you may or may not be than your competition is only, but, but so important. Um, but you know, figuring out that, you know, a doc likes to play golf and so do you, and you guys establish, you know, a common bond or relationship outside of your respective field sometimes is more important than, than the actual credibility of your work, as crazy as that sounds. Um, so that learning curve has been big. It's just something that luckily my boss, you know, helped me out with at first, didn't just throw me to the wolves, um, but, but sort of did a bit too, which is good. And that's kind of the way that I've had to learn and, and deal with it. But, uh, yeah, biggest biggest curve by far has been learning about business and developing relationships um, outside of PT school for sure. Uh, we've been talking about your business all this time already, but um, I guess we haven't really talked about exactly what what you do at Adams Performance. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So it's kind of a mix of things. Um, in the day to day sense, right now, I uh, essentially rent space from an awesome gym here in town, Phoenix Fitness and Martial Arts. Um, I've been over there for. Um, you know, a couple of months, a little bit longer now. So that's been um, evolving a bit over there. So I mostly do semi-private group training for people. I do do some one-on-one stuff, but 
think we're probably moving away from that model as a fitness industry. Um, so I do do some of that. I train everybody from, you know, some athletes here and there. Um, and certainly that's a, that's a focus within the sports performance side of things. Um, and, and also just training every day, weekend warrior, you know, people as well. So that's, that's certainly the, uh, the, the coaching heavy side of the business there. Um, something that I really enjoy that I'm looking to potentially expand a bit is providing assessments for members. So, you know, I provide free assessments for the members there. Um, they can access care quickly actually just was working on a blog post this morning, kind of describing some of that stuff. Um, and they can get some really good advice quickly when injured without having the cost of needing to see us here at the clinic. Mm -hmm. If they do, they know where to find me, um, and are familiar with me, but you know, most of the time I can show their members how to do some stuff that's going to get them feeling a heck of a lot better, a heck of a lot faster. Um, so the, the cost control value for them is pretty strong. And, um, it's also nice for the gym probably that they have a PT basically on staff providing free services. So that's been a big thing. And, uh, and really the last thing that I'm trying to get, you know, a bit more into is doing con some, some consulting work for some, you know, for some groups around town, trying to get within corporations to providing some of those services to their employees, some, some semi custom training to, to a lot of those people that that's at a much higher level than what they're probably accustomed to. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, their employees can access it for a very reasonable value. So, uh, I'm, I'm all about driving a high value product, um, mm -hmm. that people feel like they get a lot of the, you know, a lot for their money. So, yeah. Um, besides maybe anything going on, um, and what's coming up in the immediate future, do you have any like long-term, you know, large goals, aspirations, that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I think the biggest question for me is how that will all potentially interact between kind of the two headed, I guess, monster that I am now in terms of running a clinic full time and then outside of there trying to build a business full time. I mean, I think that, you know, in an ideal world, I think we're probably moving. And again, this is <laughs> part of what I'm writing about right now. I'm about to post here pretty soon, but, um, are we progressing as physical therapists to the point where we almost also become strength coaches? Right. So we almost become the leaders in the fitness world as well, um, assuming that we've been trained appropriately and are the best at both of those worlds. Right now, we definitely aren't. So I think if we can build that, what I would love to have is some type of facility eventually where training and developing fitness is primary. If you need some injury help, we can certainly provide that from a from a cash standpoint, theoretically, at least in nature. And it's it's being done across the country some now. Um, you know, and I, I'd really love to kind of incorporate, um, you know, some nonprofit charity type stuff into that, get into the community, you know, help a lot of folks that don't necessarily have access to some of that stuff um, and really kind of create a, you know, a family like atmosphere where we train really hard. Um, but everybody knows everybody and feels like a big family. So people feel like what we can provide is an important part of their life. Um, and, and having that facility and, and, and some folks working with me eventually would be pretty nice. So I think that's the goal, maybe, you know, five down the year, you know, five years down the road, something like that. Well, based off of what you just mentioned, it reminds me of, um, some of the blog posts of yours I was reading and, and, uh, I guess it was a tweet that you commented on that, uh, with something along the lines of a great clinician isn't intellectually superior, a great clinician is emotionally superior by caring more, and um, and that's what matters. So, um, I guess what is it? What did you take from that that, that was so meaningful, or you know, how do you apply that in, in your practice? Yeah, so that is um, <laughs> that really hit home for me, uh, and really probably 
completely identifies everything that I believe in as a clinician. So, uh, and that's one thing that my mentor had, you know, had instilled in me in the past, right? So you can, you can take two clinicians that treat the same type of patient and the patient will report that they had a better outcome with the clinician that they felt a better relationship with. Um, so some of what we do is, is psychological in nature um, and how pain interacts with psychology is clearly becoming more important as it relates to like neurophysiology and how we treat patients. So just like I have a student now and do a lot of teaching with interns and students, I absolutely think, first of all, before anything else, not only do no harm, but certainly treat your patient like you would expect to be treated if you walked into a clinic and was treated yourself, um, just like if your grandma was treated. Um, And, uh, you know, if anything, I just try to be honest with my patients I try to provide a high level of care that that they understand and know what to expect from me, uh, you know, as they go through kind of their course of care with me. Um, and it's really not always about who is the smartest. I think we're graduating a lot of smart people right now. But at the end of the day, it takes a lot more to sit there with your Medicare patient and spend 15 minutes talking about her family, right? Because she hasn't had anybody to talk to because she lives alone or maybe her daughter comes and sees her every now and then. And sometimes the value of that 15 minutes of talking to you that you're not charging your patient for not only brings, you know, a tremendous result to them, um, but it's also, you know, 15 extra minutes you're not spending doing notes, so you take home a lot more burden. But at the end of the day, that patient's going to remember you. It's going to tell other people about you. Um, and at the end of the day, when they give you a hug, when they leave and you discharge them, you know that what you are doing is is providing just a great service for people. And I can sleep pretty good at night um, um, knowing that. So I know that's a lot um, as it pertains to that one tweet, but I really like that was probably the best tweet I've read uh, it sounds weird saying that nowadays, but such is reality. Um, but uh, yeah, like a lot of smart stuff said this year, but that that definitely hit home with me big time. Yeah, so, so you're saying that um, there are a lot of you know, really intelligent uh, people graduating out there providing care and things. Um, so then it's, I don't want to put words in your mouth either. Sure. the underlying assumption then that, you know, um, there aren't enough that are, you know, putting this sort of care into things. And if so, how do you, I guess, remedy that as, a, as an industry? Yeah, I mean... I think the honest answer is yes. And I think that pertains to, to a lot of different fields, but especially us in medicine, you know, we're in a, we're in a tough spot that we are reimbursed. Um, and as, uh, some in our world would say we should call it payment and not reimbursement because you're getting paid for your services. Uh, it's less and less all the time. So it's tricky because we're essentially being pushed in two directions and, in the healthcare world and certainly in the PT world, you can either become involved with a, a larger organization um, where expectations might be more realistic that match how many patients you want to see and the type of care you can deliver. Or if you stay in the private practice world, you generally are going to have to see more patients all day long because you're getting paid less. Um, and if any business owner wants to make the same amount of money, then you're going to have to see more patients. So it's not necessarily the fault of the clinician. There's only but so many jobs out there, certainly so many perfect jobs. And it's a catch-22. So I think we're graduating a lot of smart people, and we have been, but either people get comfortable, it becomes a job for people, and 
there's probably far too many people out there that aren't doing a ton of manual therapy, aren't doing great quality exercise interventions with their patients. They're mm-hmm. passing them off to, to you know, a tech because they can manage six patients an hour versus taking the time to really, really help two people, you know, in that same time frame. But it doesn't generate as much cash, and that's the reality we live in, unfortunately. Yeah, that's tough. Um, so so in, in one of your other blog posts, you sort of, I guess, sort of danced around this in, in the discussion so far, but we have talked about um, the post was talking about how you know PTs aren't necessarily experts in physical therapy, even though that, or not physical therapy, but in exercise, yep. even though that might be the perception that the general public has. And, and so, what's the problem surrounding that? And yeah, no, good question. I mean, I th- I think the problem is is uh, education. At the end of the day, it's like it's a weird thing, you know. I've been asking people, and I forget where I saw it. I was listening to a podcast actually, and they were asking a marketing expert who was t- discussing physical therapy, like, "What's your view of physical therapy?" And her answer was thirty seconds of uh. Right. So um, I I think maybe the general public would say, oh, yeah, you go in there and get like stretched out. Maybe you do some exercises and that's it. They don't even perceive us as being the leaders of providing like hands on manual therapy and care that quickly changes pain. So um, it's a weird thing because you would think that would match education in school. But really, from an orthopedic standpoint, so much of what you get in school is differential diagnosis. of a variety of things, obviously orthopedic and then everything else to be trained in as a generalist. So neural, you know, neurological stuff that you've got going, you've got to be able to learn the stuff from a rehab setting too. So you kind of get stuck with like a, a quick lab session throughout the year that covers every body part. The rest of the education is up to you really at the end of the day. So unless you're acquiring additional certifications that you would hope you learn something from in the process as it pertains to exercise. Really, we don't teach exercise at an evidence-based and or high level within physical therapy programs across, you know, across the country at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why you see leaders in the fitness field uh, being followed by hopefully some pretty smart PTs out there. And that's who they're learning from. Like they're 10 years ahead or more um, in, in terms of both reading evidence um, that's published in journals like the, the Journal of Strength and Conditioning. Um, and, and we're just learning from them. So either we've got to change what our public perception is in terms of what we do, or we've probably got to do even better than that and make the public aware that we provide really good hands-on care that quickly changes pain, but we're also experts in exercise. Um, so hopefully, you know, programs have got to reach out to some of the top guys and or guys, at least in your locale that are really good, um, trustworthy, um, you know, and certainly have credentials to back that up and either start teaching some of that stuff. And there needs to be more communication across boundaries because we should all be friends or we've got to add more curriculum, uh, with, within programs. It's got to happen. What are some other things you see, um, I guess, maybe in fitness as a whole, um, trends or whatever that, that are disturbing? <laughs> yeah. Are, are you talking about CrossFit, bro? <laughs> um, no. Uh, well, you know, 
CrossFit is obviously, you know, super popular right now. And I think it will be for a long time. Um, I previously ran my business um, out of a CrossFit location, you know, here in town, Weston CrossFit, um, who is just like awesome to me and runs a great gym. Um, and I don't want to harp on CrossFit. Uh, CrossFit. That's that's certainly a trend. Um, you know, some of the higher rep Olympic lifting within that culture. And it's not CrossFit. It's really us as a culture starting to seek out how far can we take our bodies, um, you know, as it as it pertains to, to stretching it to the limit, essentially. So like really any fitness trend out there. I mean, I think CrossFit 99% of the time, I think is just awesome. I mean, it gets people picking up a barbell, doing full body movements, doing stuff that's educated, evidence-based, for the most part at the end of the day, unfortunately, depending on the, the gym, sometimes the, the quality of coaching isn't necessarily there, but that's still better than what's happening at most commercial gyms around the country. Um, so I, I think they catch like way too much flack in the grand scheme of things. Um, I'll tell you one thing that I don't like in the grand scheme of things from a fitness side is uh, is how fitness is marketed to women. Um, not only should it be probably offensive to women, but borderline like criminal in terms of all the airbrush stuff out there. But especially when you try to match that with unrealistic programs that, that really don't push long-term sustainable progress um, for women specifically. And it's stuff like you know, some of the, the classes, um, you know, bar and, and I don't want to hate on bar specifically, um, but, but probably becoming too creative with fitness to the point that it doesn't put people in, in positions to succeed long-term. Um, I'm all for people just finding stuff that gets them moving and is enjoyable, but is honestly provided by whoever is charging them for that service. So um, I don't think there's too many trends out there that are necessarily alarming. Um, I think there's the trend of more people becoming involved in fitness that don't have credentials that make people think they have credentials by running living social deals and, and people hop into things, you know, where they're, they're, they don't know any better. Um, but they're spending at times an awful lot of money for stuff that probably is not effective and is going to lead to long-term results. Um, and I think that probably alarms me more than anything. Um, even in the fitness world, their burden is needing to elevate the entry level, um, kind of degree where people know, Hey, if I'm seeing a personal trainer, they're at least well-versed in some basic injury stuff, um, and aren't going to hurt me. Um, and that doesn't always happen. Fitness industry, it, it, it's huge, you know, multi billions of dollars every year. Um, but you see, like, you know, over and over, all the new diets that come out, sure, you know, that people adopt and then, you know, give up on after a month if they stick with it for that long. Absolutely. Um, so, if, if somebody really wants to start getting healthier, getting better, you know, what are some things that they could do today? Yeah, great question. Um, I think it probably really relates to what they want in general. And, and in general, I mean, do they just want to get healthier? Do they want to lose fat? Do they want to improve flexibility? That would take you slightly down a different path. Um, but to keep it simple, I think that if most people focused on 
drinking plenty of water, um, and there's some different evidence out there on that, but drink a reasonable amount of water. Um, a number one, I think if people would stop messing around with so many diets and so many people not only are concerned with their weight and jump into bad diets, um, but it becomes a, a guilt kind of a thing in terms of, Oh God, you know, I, I, I can eat gluten today, but I can't eat it tomorrow and I'm gluten free, but I'm not. And Oh, red meat's good. A study just showed that bacon is the same as smoking, but not actually if you look at the evidence, uh, like eat more vegetables, eat some fruit, probably eat some protein, probably stay away from a ton of, you know, highly processed carbohydrates, you know, just try to show some intellect when eating, uh, but stick to it and stick to it. Um, and they can see great results. And I think outside of that, from an exercise perspective, what is accessible to you that you can do consistently that you enjoy? Um, whether that's taking a walk with your wife, husband, whatever, kids, dog once a day, and that gets you moving. Fantastic. If you know, it might not be the best exercise class in the world or trainer in the world, but if they motivate you to get moving and you feel like that's of value to you and you're not going to get hurt. Fantastic. Um, but people need to get moving and moving more consistently more often period. And I think if they would just, you know, as a society, if we would find enjoyable ways to move that may be slightly outside of the box of traditional gyms and exercise, combine that with a reasonable diet, drink some water, I guess, and get a decent night's sleep and turn the TV off, um, we'd probably be a much fitter society. And that's obvious. But uh, the reality of doing all that is different than just talking about it. It's difficult to, you know, figure out all these things when you're busy, you know, with kids, I can assess that. And we're here after your closing time, so I really appreciate your being here. Oh, man. I don't want to take up too much of your time. No. I have a couple more questions I'd like to ask you. And you're going to recognize these because you're just right from Tim Ferriss. Yeah, no doubt. Nice. What's something that you've changed your mind about in the last year or two? Oh, man. You know, always changing mind. That depends. So, you know, clinically, I'll say for me, I used to be probably like too far in the camp of, you know what, I respect myself as as a strength coach as much as a PT. And I feel like everybody needs to, you know, perform fundamental human movement patterns. Everybody needs to perform a squat. Everybody needs to hip hinge and deadlift of some sort, yada, yada. Um, but, but I think realizing and evidence kind of backs us up for the most part that sometimes it's really just about facilitating uh, either Im- improved motion with less pain um, or sometimes just getting people moving in general is, is just as important, if not more important than like, oh, man. My guy can now deadlift with no pain. He can swing a kettlebell. Um, you know, he can climb stairs without pain, but I still haven't given him a lunge variation. And uh, a lot of people in that role uh, kind of fall into that. And uh, just really like paying attention to your patient and matching what your patient wants, um, you know, and, and how that matches what you're doing to their goals more so than just like your personal bias of, hey, they should be able to do that. Like sometimes that's stupid and it's counterproductive. So I've definitely moved away from that and try to just be much more patient-centered in terms of setting goals and, and hopefully helping them realize those. Right, right, right. Thank you. Um, but who's, uh, like when, when you hear the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind? <laughs> um, man, good question. Very Tim Ferriss. Um, well, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to give him as an example just because he's such a – 
you know, to give him some credit, like he seems to be such a dynamic guy that is so well versed in a variety of things. I think that is, that is just like highly impressive to me. Um, I, I think it's one of two ways. Uh, this is what I probably struggle with. Like my grandparents, especially now grandfather, um, but grandparents in general are, are tremendously successful in the sense that they didn't always have what they wanted. They always had what they needed. Um, they were smart savers. They always put their family first. And at the end of the day, they have helped my parents, um, anybody associated with them. And certainly like my sister and I, um, you know, and, and wife now to help out so much that, and that's put us so far forward and allowed us to have a door, you know, a foot in the door with so many different things that we do that at the end of the day, that's, that's truly successful is to breed success in the generations, you know, in front of you. Um, which, which I think is awesome. Um, so, you know, I think that's absolutely, you know, a, kind of a hallmark of success there. And on the fitness side of things, um, you know, at the end of the day, I look at a guy like Eric Cressy and, and that's who I think of as successful because he has started from the bottom in terms of just being super minimal, always learning, seems to be always humble, has grown into a position where he now owns two facilities you know, knows almost every guy in the MLB probably, you know, in some capacity. Um, and, and again, provides tremendous value to like everybody that's, you know, kind of involved with his organization, at least as it seems to me. Um, but, but he's somebody that I really looked up to, you know, from, from a success standpoint and from a business standpoint. I guess along the lines of that and, and the mentorship that we talked about earlier, you know, I don't know if you have any advice that you give to you know, whether a young person or somebody looking to, to you know, make a pivot, you know, change careers, whatever it is, yeah. you know, and they're having a hard time finding a mentor, what advice would you give them? You know? Sure. Um, I, I would say understand that no matter how successful the person is in front of you, mm-hmm. that they're, they're probably a cool person. Um, and so a lot of times we get so intimidated by reaching out to those folks. You think like, man, why would somebody like that want to reach out to me? Or why would he take an email from me? Well, you never know what he's going to do or she's going to do until you reach out to them. Um, so I think at the end of the day, it's if you're not having success maybe within the city or within a couple of people that maybe perfectly fit whatever your area of or future area of expertise might be, think about people that share commonalities within industries and or figure out how to talk to whoever that person is mm-hmm. that you think could be accessible. You never know what you're going to get. Just jump. Yeah, uh, that reminds me of uh, uh, an event that took place this past summer, and I was reading a, a National Journal article uh, about this guy out in Oakland, California. His name's Kalina, and he you know started his own uh, nonprofit organization to help kids get into like STEM and, and things like that, you know, teaching them how to code and everything. And um, I have a, an organization that I'm trying to get off the ground now, doing something very similar to that. And I was like, you know what? Let me just try to contact him. You know, sure. I won't get a response, but he was really great. And he did email me back, you know, and asked me about what I'm trying to do and gave me some really great advice. So it's always worth, worth a try. You know, you don't really have anything to lose to reach out to somebody like that. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You know, I mean, I just got done training a guy this morning that I've kind of, you know, come across who's a, 
uh, you know, pretty influential guy around here, kind of an angel investor type. And he's the most down to earth guy like on the planet. And, you know, if you didn't know him or hadn't met them, you know, him and his wife, like you would never expect that just because of how successful they are. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they couldn't be more down to earth and, and just happy to help you any, you know, any way they can. So, you know, just, just make the jump. Those people are typically the more humble ones, uh, you know, out there cause they have worked to achieve that and they respect those that are coming up in the same path. So just, just do it really. Um, and I think, you know, I want to finish with this one cause it's probably one of my favorite Tim Ferriss questions. <laughs> sure. Billboard one. So if you're a billboard that you can put anywhere, uh, for people to see, you know, what would you put on it and what would it be? Oh God, I don't know. Um, or, or I can let you, you know, get a pass because the last person I interviewed he's like you know I wouldn't do a billboard you know that's too you know old school <laughs> yeah yeah sure um yeah I would hire like Google for a day to you know plug me on their site um I don't know well, let me ask you this are you, is that a business question specifically Yeah, sure. Um, man, if I had a billboard, well, here in old Richmond, I mean, I'd have to say my billboard would be, you know, up there cruising right into the city. So, you know, right when people, you know, work their way in they're they're going to associate me with the city. So it, it would definitely be, uh, you know, right outside of I-95 right there, um, ready for for the local city to see. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, my billboard would probably have to say something in relation to the fact that we're the only business that really provides both sides of fitness and sports medicine, period, and nobody does it better. And we're the only business in Richmond that does that. Obviously, you would have to find a more succinct, um, clever way to state that, but that's what you pay somebody to market for. Um, and, you know, I'm an idiot, so I, uh, yeah, I probably can't figure that kind of thing out. But, but I think at the end of the day, that's something that, you know, I, I've really learned is if I'm putting something up like that, it has to speak to what is the value to the potential customer in terms of what they're getting from me. Right. And if they don't see value in that, they're never calling you and they're never coming in your door. So create tremendous value for the most, you know, affordable cost out there. Your doors will be full eventually. Just just stick in there. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, sure. Um, so you can find me on my website, which is Adams Performance RVA, is in Richmond, Virginia. dot uh, com. Uh, blog is under the page there, and certainly you can read about some of my my business offerings there and and all of my thoughts. You can uh, my Twitter handle is Kyle Adams RVA. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Adams Performance RVA. Um, and I guess that's pretty much it outside of just looking me up on Facebook. I post some stuff there too, as it relates to kind of blog content. Uh, but that's all my social media stuff. I guess, man, trying. Yeah, man. Snapchat is crazy. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. It seems dangerous, but uh, yeah, the kids say it's good. So, 
Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to Refreshingly Innovative. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave an iTunes review. It really helps us out. If you want more Refreshingly Innovative, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast fill. For more information about today's episode or guest, you can check out the show notes in the description, go to the Facebook page, or check out our website, refreshinglyinnovative.com. Today's episode was produced by me, Stefan Randolph, and the show was mixed and edited by Chris Finkley. Our theme music is courtesy of John Luck Hefferman and The Beat Doctor. This has been Refreshingly Innovative. Until next time.